Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan. I'm here again with Andrea today. And today we are looking basically at 1 Samuel 13, uh, but we're going to look at 1 Chronicles 9 first, uh, because 1 Chronicles 9 gives us a genealogy of Saul. So we're doing this um, chronological Bible. This is splitting things up a little bit just so that we can understand the context a little bit better. Um, And one of the things that I take away from this just seemingly insignificant first piece um, is it gives us the list of Saul's sons. So if you look at 1 Chronicles 9, 39, uh, it says, Saul was the father of Jonathan, Malkishua, Binadab, and Eshbel. What's interesting about that is that Saul has chosen to name his son after Baal, which should actually get our attention as like, what? Are you kidding me? So this is like one little reason that it's worth paying attention to these genealogies, because sometimes these names mean something. Um it, it does mean, like, Eshbaal actually means gift of Baal. That's what he named his son. Yeah. So this guy has been chosen to be the king over Israel, and he decides to name his son after Baal, gift of Baal. They actually change his name later on. You'll see that the names listed later. Um, this is actually 1 Samuel 14, 49. It says, Saul's sons included Jonathan, Ishbosheth, and Melchishua. So you might wonder, like, why is that name different? Well, it's actually because um, it, it became, rightfully so, shameful to name Baal. So they actually changed his name and what they called him, and they, they began calling him son of shame, Ishbosheth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, interesting context. I was thinking about that with the whole names thing, um, how a lot of pagan cultures did that actually with their children. They named them after their gods. Mm-hmm. And then thinking about the story, um, Book of Daniel, how King, Nebuchadne- King yeah. Nebuchadnezzar, he yeah. changed their names to, you know, the names of their gods. So it was just kind of, I think, a cultural thing, you know, perhaps that they just decided to name um, their children after their pagan gods. Whereas also, like with names in the Bible, they named them. Yep. Because either God helped them or something, you know, happened and they're like, I'm going to name my child after this or the place where they were at or something of that. It's wild that Saul has a son is like, I must recognize Baal with this. (laughs) It's very bizarre. Um, But. What shouldn't surprise us after that is that you get like these weird instances where Saul's just not doing it the way he's supposed to. Mm-hmm. So there's this there's this war coming. The Philistines are consistently um, antagonizing the Israelites. Yeah. Um, there's this particular battle that comes up, and Saul's waiting for Samuel to come and offer sacrifice for the people. But Saul just doesn't think Samuel's fast enough, so he offers sacrifices on his own, mm-hmm. which should definitely get our attention because God has already laid out a lot of laws yeah. and rules, and we know that the the priests are the only ones allowed to do this. Yeah. And Saul definitely knows the priests are the only ones allowed to do this. And so it's actually doing that that causes him to lose his kingship uh, that's what Samuel says. Like, mm-hmm. hey, this is you're you're going to lose this kingdom you're now lose your kingdom. because yeah. God wants somebody that's a man after His own heart, mm-hmm. um, which is going to get us to David. That's how David is described. Yeah. Um. So, stinking Saul, he should just follow God. I know he never listens. He never listens. It's it's, it's like he's just a 
like one of those knuckleheads who just <laughs> doesn't want to, you know, listen to their parent. But yeah, thinking about him, you know, you know, just thinking about like he is the chosen one to lead this nation. Mm-hmm. Um, given all the, you know, pretty much guideline, like here's what you should do, mm-hmm. you know, like commands from God and from Samuel, um, what to do. And still he takes it upon himself to blatantly disobey mm-hmm. pretty much what God is is telling him to do. And so it's like, there's consequences to that, you know, um, not just then, but, you know, for anyone who blatantly goes against God's commands, it's mm-hmm. like, if God specifically tells you to do something, he expects you to do it, you know, yeah. and, and it's it's serious because it's, it's a part of his plan. Um, so when you go against it, it's like, okay, you're going to have to expect that there's going to be some consequences involved. And, and just King Saul, you know, he, I don't think he really understood the heaviness of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, disobeying God. And, and he just kind of went about doing his own thing and thinking that it would be okay. It seems like he's like almost in a rush. Like yeah. we, we have to win this war. Holy yeah, cow. Yeah. We, got, we got to do this now. Yeah. Like, let's go. And, there was no trust. Definitely. But he's putting the, he's putting the battle ahead of yeah. just trusting God. I mean, yeah. I mean, Jonathan, he, he's, pretty much contrasting this story. Jonathan mm-hmm. like goes out to war and he's like, well, we're going to look to God and if yeah. God's going to give us victory, he's going to give us victory. Yeah. Um, he does it in like a kind of a unique way, like depending mm-hmm. on, like if they say this, this is what we'll do. Yeah. Um, but it is a contrast of like, Jonathan's like, hey, let's make space to do what God says yeah. and let's follow what God Saul's says. Saul's like, let's do it now. Let's, Saul's <laughs> like, hurry up, hurry up. We got to do this. We're not waiting. Let's do it. Um, also then, speaking of Jonathan, um, we get this strange story of this dumb vow that Saul makes. Oh, yeah. They're going to go out into this huge war, and Saul's like, hey, nobody's allowed to eat, which if you're going to fight hand-to-hand combat, it seems like eating might be important. Yeah. Um, and he, he 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 basically commits to kill whoever eats. Yeah. Um, it, it's similar um, to, we just talked a couple days ago about Jephthah's foolish vow. So Jephthah is going out to fight this battle and he's like, you know what, God, to honor you, I will sacrifice whatever walks out my door. Yeah, and it ends up being his daughter. Yes. That's the story I was thinking is about it? that paralleled with that. Yeah. yeah. Like they make these, these vows and then they kind of renege on it Yeah, when they realize, oh man, what did I do? Which so, is a very like, you know, making vows at that time was very, it was a big thing, you know. A like, vow is super serious. Yeah, it's But serious. you were also commanded to never make a foolish vow. Yeah. So you get the feeling that if yeah. you make a vow, yeah. um, you've counted the cost. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing with Jephthah is that he actually carried that out. Like mm-hmm. he actually sacrificed his yeah, daughter. Um, and Which is crazy. And Chris was saying that he, he actually, because there was um, like – checks and about like checks in place mm-hmm. um he could have actually said like hey that was a foolish vow like i yeah. never i never should have done that yeah um but well, he chose to carry it out instead yeah but because it, it was a serious thing you yeah. know like making these vows was like kind of like a you know this covenant you mm-hmm. know that you weren't to break which is why jesus says and you know um i can't remember where it's from but he says don't make you know food like these foolish vows I'll like don't yes make them yet. at all yeah, yeah. yeah. Let your yes be yes and so it's like, you know, it's all about like the intention, I guess, of the heart. Like if you're going to stick to this vow and you're going to stick to your word, then okay. But um, if you're just making this foolish vow on your own foolish intentions, yeah. like it's better not to do that at all. Like <laughs> don't do that. Um, yeah. So they're actually considering putting 
Jonathan to death because mm-hmm. he ate some honey off a stick. Yeah. And Jonathan's like, what? And they, they, they cast lots to determine what happened. Uh-huh. So God does reveal in their casting lots that it's Jonathan it that's broken yeah. this vow. Jonathan had no knowledge of this vow mm-hmm. that was made. So Saul does say in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 44, he says, yes, Jonathan, you must die. May God strike me and even kill me if I... If you do not die for this. Mm -hmm. But the people broke in and said to Saul, Jonathan has won this great victory for Israel. Like, basically, he doesn't need to die. Stop. Like, they're calling him out on his Mm -hmm. foolish vow. Yeah. Because it's really Jonathan who's sought out God in this situation. As opposed to Saul. As opposed to Saul, who's just, like, rushing into this thing and making crazy vows. Uh, we're We're just learning more and more about his character. Yeah. And I think... In some ways, God has already revealed His character, saying, "Like, hey, I want I want somebody that's after my own heart. Mm-hmm. I, the, there's there's a new king coming." Yeah, but the thing is, is like, you know, He allows it to happen so that they can see, like, look, yeah. this is your choice, and so this is what your choice got you. But yet, they're still kind of blind to that fact that even though we chose this, um, you know, we're still. We still want this king. We still, you know, want to do things our way. Um, but God really does seek somebody's heart as opposed yeah. to what they look like they can do, you know, from the outside. So, yeah, I think um, later on to see the contact, contrast between um, Saul and King David is mm-hmm. is kind of crazy because it's like, you know, comparing the two, it's like this was a man who who wanted, you know, King Saul wanted to do his own thing and wanted didn't really trust God. Whereas David, even though he had faults and stuff like that, he trusted God's word and mm-hmm. he carried out his plans. So, so this this reading today actually closes. It's First uh, Samuel fourteen fifty two. Um, it says the Israelites fought constantly with the Philistines throughout Saul's lifetime. So whenever Saul observed a young man who was brave and strong, he drafted him into his army. So this is fulfilling what Samuel has already said. Yeah. When when Samuel responded to Israel's uh, request for a king, he was like, you foolish people, like this king is going to draft your sons and send them to war mm-hmm. and have them run in front of chariots. Yeah. So we're seeing this develop where this is actually coming to pass mm-hmm. that Saul's the king now. Um, he wants to win these wars against yeah. the Philistines. And so anytime he finds a young man that seems like he'd be good for battle, he goes to battle. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's you can crazy. definitely see his intentions Yeah. Um, that he just kind of wants to do not only things his way, but the reasons why he does it, the, the behind, you know, behind his heart, I guess, mm-hmm. um, why he's doing it. Right. Yeah. Hey, guys, we will see you again tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll be picking up in First Samuel 15, continuing this story of Saul. So we'll see you then. Bye. Today we're starting in 1 Chronicles 9 for context, and then we'll be looking at 1 Samuel 13. Jael, the father of Gibeon, lived in the town of Gibeon. His wife's name was Maka, and his oldest son was named Abdon. Jael's other sons were Zer, Kish, Baal, Ner, Nadab, Gader, Ohio, Zechariah, Mikloth. Mikloth was the father of Shimeon. All these families lived near each other in Jerusalem. Ner was the father of Kish. Kish was the father of Saul. Saul was the father of Jonathan, Malkushua, and Binadab, and Eshbal. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. 
Saul selected 3,000 special troops from the army of Israel and sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of the chosen men with him to Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. The other 1,000 went with Saul's son Jonathan to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. Soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated a garrison of Philistines at Geba. The news spread quickly among the Philistines. So Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this. Rise up in revolt. All Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison at Geba, and that the Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Bethaven. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear that they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plowshares, picks, axes, or sickles, they had to take them to a Philistine blacksmith. The charges were as follows, a quarter of an ounce of silver for sharpening a plowshare or a pick, and an eighth of an ounce for sharpening an axe or making the point of an ox goad. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or spear except for Saul and Jonathan. The pass at Michmash had meanwhile been secured by a contingent of the Philistine army. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and Saul sacrificed a burnt offering for himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him, but Samuel says, What is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, The Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Samuel then left Gilgal and went out on his way, but the rest of the troops went with Saul to meet the army. They went up to Gilgal to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. When Saul counted the men who were still with him, he found only 600 were left. Saul and Jonathan and the troops with them were staying at Geba in the town of Benjamin. The Philistines set up their camp at Michmash. Three raiding parties soon left the camp of the Philistines. One went north toward Ophrah and the land of Shul, another went west to Beth Haran, and the third moved toward the border above the valley of Zeboam near the wilderness. One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. 
Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah, around the pomegranate tree, at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahijah the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sena. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win this battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him. We will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here, and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb up right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some twenty men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties, and just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Saul's lookouts in Gibeah of Benjamin saw the strange sight. The vast army of Philistines began to melt away in every direction. Call the roll and find out who's missing, Saul ordered. And when they checked, they found that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. Then Saul sounded, shouted to Ahijah, Bring the ephod here. For at that time Ahijah was wearing the ephod in front of the Israelites. But while Saul was talking to the priest, there was confusion in the Philistine camp that grew louder and louder. So Saul said to the priest, Never mind, let's get going. Then Saul and all his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews, who had previously gone over to the Philistine army, revolted and joined in with Saul and Jonathan and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, the men of Israel, who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim, joined the chase when they saw that the Philistines were running away. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth-Avon. Now the men of Israel were pressured into exhaustion that day, because Saul had placed them under an oath, saying, Let a curse fall on anyone who eats before evening, before I have full revenge on my enemies. So no one ate anything all that day, even though they had all found honeycomb on the ground and in the forest. They didn't dare touch the honey because they all feared the oath they had taken. But Jonathan had not heard his father's command, and he dipped the end of his stick into a piece of honeycomb and ate the honey. After he had eaten it, he felt refreshed. But one of the men saw him and said, Your father made the army take a strict oath that anyone who eats food today will be cursed. That is why everyone is weary and faint. My father has made trouble for all of us, Jonathan exclaimed. A command like that only hurts us. See how refreshed I am now that I have eaten this little bit of honey. If the men had been allowed to eat freely from the food they found among our enemies, think how many more Philistines we could have killed. They chased and killed the Philistines all day from Michmash to Agilon, growing more and more faint. 
That evening, they rushed for the battle plunder and butchered the sheep, goats, cattle, and calves, but they ate them without draining the blood. Someone reported to Saul, look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that still has the blood in it. That is very wrong, Saul said. Find a large stone and roll it over here. Then go out among the troops and tell them, bring the cattle, sheep, and goats here to me. Kill them here and drain the blood before you eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with the blood still in it. So that night, all the troops brought their animals and slaughtered them there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first of the altars he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let's chase the Philistines all night and plunder them until sunrise. Let's destroy every last one of them. His men replied, We'll do whatever you think is best. But the priest said, Let's ask God first. So Saul asked God, Should we go after the Philistines? Will you help us defeat them? But God made no reply that day. Then Saul said to the leaders, something's wrong. I want all my army commanders to come here. We must find out what sin was committed today. I vow by the name of the Lord who rescued Israel that the sinner will surely die, even if it's my own son, Jonathan. But no one would tell him what the trouble was. Then Saul said, Jonathan and I will stand over here and all of you will stand over there. And the people responded to Saul, whatever you think is best. Then Saul prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, please show us who is guilty and who is innocent. Then they cast sacred lots, and Jonathan and Saul were chosen as the guilty ones, and the people were declared innocent. Then Saul said, Now cast lots again and choose between me and Jonathan. And Jonathan was shown to be the guilty one. Tell me what you have done, Saul demanded of Jonathan. I tasted a little honey, Jonathan admitted. It was only a little bit on the end of my stick. Does that deserve death? Yes, Jonathan said, you must die. May God strike me and even kill me if you do not die for this. But the people broke in and said to Saul, Jonathan has won this great victory for Israel. Should he die? Far from it. As surely as the Lord lives, not one hair on his head will be touched, for God helped him do a great deed today. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. Then Saul called back the army from chasing the Philistines, and the Philistines returned home. Now when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction, against Moab, Ammon, Eden, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he was victorious. He performed great deeds and conquered the Amicalites, saving Israel from all those who had plundered them. Saul's sons included Jonathan, Ishbosheth, and Mekushua. He also had two daughters, Mirab, who was older, and Michal. Saul's wife was Ehenom, the daughter of Ehemez. The commander of Saul's army was Abner, the son of Saul's uncle Ner. Saul's father, Kish, and Abner's father, Ner, were both sons of Abiel. The Israelites fought constantly with the Philistines throughout Saul's lifetime. So whenever Saul observed a young man who was brave and strong, he drafted him into his army. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you, and if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.